What is up and welcome back to 24 Minutes of A24, the podcast that takes a look at the A24 library 24 minutes at a time. I am Ethan Simi. And I'm Ben Lawhorn. This week on the pod, the Cherry Tomato Boys are here. <laughs> and we're talking about A24's latest show, The Curse. First it was the Sewer Boys, now it's the Cherry Tomato Boys. <laughs> <Cherry> tomato Boys. <laughs> we're all over the place. A newlywed couple struggles to make their vision for eco-living a reality in a small New Mexico town. This is the brand new show from A24, from Showtime, from Nathan Fielder, Emma Stone, Benny Safdie, called The Curse. Um, we pushed out the release of this podcast by one day so we could watch The Curse, talk about The Curse, and have this episode come out after everybody's had a chance to see it, um, because this is something we've greatly been looking forward to. And uh, I know we're not at the part of the conversation yet, but I gotta say, did not disappoint. Cherry Tomato Boys, run strong. It was solid. It was very solid. I'm excited to talk about it. First and foremost, of course, for the last six months, six and a half months, we've been yeah. starting our podcast by staying by by noting that SAG After is in a current strike, fighting for what they deserve, and um, they are no longer in that strike. They won. They fucking did it, and they fucking got what they deserved, and um. I am so happy. I'm so elated. I'm so uh, stoked for every single actor, but most importantly, um, the second tier, the third tier, the fourth tier of actors, the background actors, the, the, the real people that make the gears turn in mm-hmm. Hollywood and for the shows. Um, this is incredible. And I'm, they did it, Ben. They, they, they did it. Yeah. I'm super happy for him. A uh, three-year agreement, I believe. Right. Uh-huh. So, that's pretty awesome, and it sounds like they got a lot of what they were asking for, so yep. I'm, I'm stoked on it. I believe it's valued at $1 billion is what okay. the, the deal is val- valued at. Lots of great protections for AI. One specifically that came out earlier today um, is that if any uh, essentially digital rendering of an actor is used in a project, movie, TV show, whatever, um, then the real-life person gets paid as if they did that work. Mm. That is obviously very key, very important. Um, and AI was a huge sticking point for SAG after it. And I'm mm. very proud that they stuck to it and they didn't take the bait from the studios, pressuring them to take deal after deal after deal. Um, and you know, it's, it's just, it's really inspiring to see. And of course the next three years are going to go quickly and then we'll be back on strike after that. I can, I can only imagine. Um, but this is a huge precedence for the industry, for AI, for, the future of actors and screen actors and everything that that entails. So it's really exciting. Uh, Writers Guild got a, got a deal uh, what, about a month ago now, mm-hmm. six weeks ago now. So everybody's aligned. We're all good to go. Honestly, just in time for Oscar campaign season, dude. I'm, I, know, I, could, right? I couldn't be happier, honestly. I feel like that's partly what the studios were thinking too. Like we yes. got to, we got to call it at some point. So I'm glad I know at some point I heard that the goal was before Thanksgiving. So I'm glad they were able to reach that and uh, we can all move forward talking about the Oscars. Yeah, I'm really glad. I think the biggest thing to come out of it is at least from my perspective, um, Loki is, was going on and Mm. basically the, the finale of Loki and the Marvels released like a day after the strike resolved. Um, and Loki put out like a, um, a little video with, with Kihu Kwan that was like, Hey guys, I can finally talk about Loki. I'm so thrilled that everybody likes this show. Blah, blah. And I was just like, Holy shit. I really miss this. I yeah. really miss like cool actors talking about things they're working on. And I don't think I ever like 
really like realized that before where it was just like I just love listening to them talking about what they're working on. Mm-hmm. That was special. I'm glad we have that back. Yeah, me too. This is going to be a great, you know, Oscars campaign season. There's a lot of good stuff going on. Um, I'm curious, do you, do you think it was the right move for them to like move Dune or do you still wish that was coming out right now? What's your take? I mean, that's tough. Like I think Dune 2 was slated to release like a week before the strike ended. It was like mm. right in that sweet spot. I do think it was the right move. Um, and I think it was the right Oscars move because obviously Dune cleaned up the year that it came out, especially below the line. Yeah. And with a cast like that, with a star like Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, um, I think it's important that you get the run up as well as the follow through that comes mm-hmm. from the campaigning, the press junkets, all of that kind of stuff. So I think it was the right move. Um, I am just really interested to see how certain acting bodies and movies, directors and studios now tackle like what the next five months look like. I know that we're not, I know that we're like early on the Oscars season and the Oscars bump here. Um, We obviously, neither of us have seen kind of all the, all the big hitters yet, but things like Oppenheimer, things like Barbie, like those casts get to be out there now. They get to talk about these things. They get to promote these things. And I'm really curious like what comes of that? Like where, you know, what are they, what is their goal and how do they realign for like all this missed time, mm-hmm. especially in terms of Oppenheimer. I mean, there was already talks of a, it already came back to IMAX for one weekend as like a, as like kind of a rerun promo thing. Of course I went to go see it for a fifth time and I loved it even more. So in your face, Ben, <laughs> um, and there was talks of it coming back in January and making like another IMAX run, trying to get to a billion dollars. Of course, January would be that key Oscar campaign time. Do they do that? Like, do they get the whole squad together and be like, hey, let's pretend that this is our press junket now for a movie that's already been out for six months. Do they do that? What movies do that besides Oppenheimer Barbie? Yeah, I mean, you got to do the big ones, you know, maybe maybe killers. I don't know. There's some some front runners, I think, that are going to... They're going to have to pull these people together and do some campaigning for sure. I have some really big questions and maybe next week, maybe next week we talk about it. Maybe we make it a whole pod and we talk about things that the strike has, has now resolved that can, that can happen and change things. Um, I think that would be fun. So I'm going to lock that in right now. Next week we're talking, we're talking more Oscar (laughs) stuff because I'm jumpy. I'm, I want to talk Oscars. Of course this year, um, let, well, let last year we did, you know, the, the 24 minutes of the Oscars, we kind of change to the Oscars for 12, 13 weeks. We do the, the kind of the 10 best pictures, uh, one a week leading up to the Oscars. And we do some reactions and, and things like that. We'll do that again this year. Are you excited now that, now that the strike is over and people can campaign? I'm really looking forward to it. It's interesting. Cause I feel like leading into it last year, like you and I like made kind of a, you know, this cursory idea of like, okay, I think these are what the, pictures are going to be because we had to record some stuff before the announcement was even made right. of what was officially nominated. I feel a lot less confident this year. I think it's like what mm. the best pictures are, you know, it's like, I have, I have no clue. There, there are some obvious like Oppenheimer killers of fire moon. There's stuff that I think will be safe to talk about, but uh, yeah, it feels a little bit more up in the air for me at least anyway than it did last year. Yeah. I think there's, I think it's a more clear division this year of like what is a lock 
um, mm. and what is a serious contender versus like what is not. Um, I'm curious because I feel like last year we were like, okay, it's it's everything everywhere all at once, and like I think Top Gun Maverick was our other call. Where we were like, this, this is a guarantee, yeah. right? Or was and there Elvis? I think we thought it was going to be up there. Yeah, so it's kind of these big summer summer-ish blockbuster like okay yeah. these are getting a lot of talk still but we haven't had a ton of those and it's stuff like poor things and zone of interest like stuff that ne- hasn't necessarily been wide american fiction yet. Yeah. yeah so i think there's a lot of things out there but i think this year the race is more cemented to like a top three like mm-hmm. oppenheimer killers and and uh poor things i think that's like those are the hard three that everybody's like really concerned about right now and then i think from there things get much more interesting than last year. I think yeah. we had a, a really solid idea of like, these eight are definitely making it. And then there's like two up in the airs. I think this year we're like, these five are going to make it. And the other five, like, I don't know. Anything could happen, right? Yeah. Like, where are we standing on past lives? All of this. So this is a this is a bigger conversation. Obviously, I'm getting carried away. We can have this conversation next week on the show um, because I'm very curious about like what that is. We'll give some maybe like cursory, like precursor, uh, predictions mm-hmm. of what we what we think um maybe make it a, a little bit of a game have a little bit of fun with it so that'll be cool i'm excited for the oscars and i'm even more excited and proud of sag after and and everybody that supported the strike of course we've been able to carry on with this pod and talk about brand new a24 releases because mm-hmm. a24 has been paying their screen actors as they should they had an inter- interim grill uh deal uh or an agreement with sag after so yeah um that's exciting as it was, but I'm glad that it's full full force now. I have two pieces of A24 housekeeping for you. Number one is um, a movie title, a movie cast, a movie idea that was announced. So this movie is called Opus. It is a horror movie that follows an iconic pop star's return following his decades-long disappearance. Here is the cast list so far that has been announced for this film. Um, Io Edabiri, Amber Mind Thunder, uh, sorry, Mid Thunder, John Malkovich, Murray Bartlett, Young Mazzino, uh, Tatnaka Means. I believe she was the lead in uh, Prey, the new Hulu movie recently. Uh, that was that was Amber Mid Thunder. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I knew I knew it was somebody. Um, and then Juliette Lewis will star in the film. Kind of a stacked cast, and Ao Itabiri is just cranking out films right now, and yeah. I love to see it. And uh, her in a horror movie especially with A24 is going to be killer. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> about it. Uh, just looking him up right now to Tonka means uh, he was actually in killers of the flower moon. He had the really oh, beautiful like the braids. Co- long, yeah. He yeah. was a cop or right. He was like, yeah, the yeah, FBI yeah exactly. Oh, I love him. Yeah. So yes. it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Awesome. I mean, it's a great cast. Julia Lewis, Malkovich, Murray Bartlett's great. If anyone, you know, watched uh, white Lotus, He's mm-hmm. super funny. So yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be awesome. John Malkovich in an A twenty four movie. Not on my bingo card. Anytime. We did it. We did it. So we did it. I think we won. Like as yeah. a <laughs> as a fan base here. Um second we're going piece from of a- winning to losing here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going from a big win to an exceptional loss. Um this is this is interesting. I want to dedicate a couple of minutes to this because I really I feel like there's a lot to unpack here. Elon Musk biopic is in the works at A24 with Darren Aronofsky set to direct. That sentence makes me want to drink a gallon of acid. Mm-hmm. It's like, atrocious, Ben. It's terrible. Do you think he's trying 
or going to try to do his social network? With or is Elon it more Musk? like, I like, mean, like, what's the story there? With SpaceX, I don't know. You came from rich parents and got hair plugs and then got a <laughs> bunch of money and sent a spaceship to the sky. like And named your kid a space name with Grimes? I guess so, yeah. That's the thing. I don't, I don't understand the story, but I did say the same thing about the Facebook movies. Like, I have no idea what the story is mm. going to be, and that turned out to be one of the best movies ever. So um, I'm, I'm surprised Aronofsky is tied to it. That's the biggest yeah. surprise for me. I think that is interesting. Um, Aronofsky taking on like a contemporary biopic. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of surprising because like that's not really his bag. That's not mm-hmm. like really what he's done. Um, but it's also kind of not surprising because Aronofsky strikes me as the guy that's like, oh, let me take something that's exceptionally toxic and just try to make something. Yeah. And I guess you could say like that's kind of respectable, but also like. I DM'd you when this news came out and I was like, my Aronofsky take is looking real good right now. Like that, that I don't like Aronofsky. Never have. I don't like, I think outside of Black Swan, I don't think he's really made anything worthy or like worth sitting down and watching. I think, I think the, the, the whale was exceptionally like uh, emotionally. Um, I don't know. It just felt like cheap. It just felt like it was, tra- mm. it was trying to um, persuade you um, over trying. So an Elon Musk biopic, I think the first problem, obviously, is, like, what is the story? I, yeah. I hope that you're right, but I don't know where you would go with, like, that story. I just don't think there's enough meat on the bones there. Um, And I think it's rather strange that A24 is attached to it, to be honest. I mean, when you sent it to me, I had to double check because I thought it was, like, the... <laughs> the disbussing film, you know, Twitter is like, Oh, this feels, yeah. I was like, Oh, this is someone that's uh, playing a joke here. That's funny. And they're like, no, this is confirmed by a lot of different accounts. (laughs) Holy shit. This is insane. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not looking forward to it right now. It just sounds awful. And it's not even, it's not a, a person that I want to relate with, you know, it's like, I don't know how you're going to make the character someone I care about. Um, unless you're making him the bad person, what's Elon's involvement in this, yeah. you know? I, I don't know. There's just so many questions, obviously. It's still very early stages, so a, a lot to still iron out. I think it also raises the question that we've talked about a lot here on the show before as well, of like, A24 has their guys. They have their filmmakers that they go back to time and time again. Um, of course, Ari Aster being one of them, uh, Robert Eggers being one of them, and <laughs> Darren Aronofsky. Those are kind of like the the holy trinity of like, the A24 bros that like make movies for A24. Mm -hmm. And it really does cement the idea that even if there's not like public knowledge of, you know, Oh, we have, you know, a contract for three movies or like whatever. um, A24 is always the first at the bit for these guys, really, no matter what they're doing. And um, I don't know. It just makes me question, especially in this situation, like the blind, the blindness support aspect here of like, you know, I, is that a good idea? Did anybody really vet it? Maybe not. Maybe a 24 was just like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Like we'll give you $10 million. It's fine. Yeah. Which seems like what happened here. Uh, yeah. I mean, part of me is wondering if David Zaslav secretly works for a 24 cause he's making a lot of horrible decisions <laughs> with Warner brothers movies. <laughs> and now it's just like a yeah. 24 is going to get into action films. And now we're going to do something about yeah. Elon Musk. It's like, what is happening over there? Like, I don't know that there's been a lot of change in the 
you know, management, but some of these decisions just feel kind of strange. So I don't know. We'll see what they do. But it also makes me wonder if it's a if it's a brand thing. Like, is it an A twenty four thing for them to be like, you know, I not, nobody else is really going to support this. Also, yeah. like, we're the company that makes weird shit. So like, why wouldn't we make it? Kind of a thing. But again, like we got to vet these things. We got to we got to figure out what's a good a good like crazy idea and what's a bad crazy idea. This is a bad one. This is not good. Who would you have play Elon Musk? Anybody that comes to mind? Tommy Wiseau. I, that's Same literally who I was going to say. <laughs> literally the same person. I was hoping you wouldn't so I could get the credit, but we'll share. <laughs> you know what? Just to like fuck with him, I, I saw someone suggest Elliot Page. I'm like, yeah, great. Let's do that too. Oh, wow. I, I know he's got a lot of issues. So that would be, that'd be incredible. Would hate that. Is this Darren Aronofsky's like the room? Like does, does he go full meta irony commentary? Or is I he trying so. to actually make a serious film? I mean, that's I don't another know, question. Yeah, what he's trying to do, but it's just like you remember when Elon took over Twitter and he literally walked into the building with a sink. You know, he's like, "Let that sink in." I was like, dude, what the fuck, man? What are we like, doing? <laughs> there, there are dad jokes, but this is this is just like a bad joke. This is awful. Oh. This is a Tommy Wiseau. Like, oh, what well, I'm gonna put this in the movie? So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Well, I feel confident saying I've never liked Darren Aronofsky and I hate Elon Musk as much as you can hate a person. So I think we're in the clear. I'm good. I don't feel torn about this at all. Um, It's only just announced that like it's in the works. So I, this might disappear. We don't know. Like this, this might never see the light of day. True. But, you know, it's out there now. It exists. People know it's happening. So maybe in a couple of years, we'll cover it here in the show when it comes out. Um. Your Aronofsky take is crazy. It's crazy. Are you serious? Get yes. out of here. What do you mean? Yes. Black Swan. That's it. That's all we did. Mother, Requiem no. for a Dream? Yeah, it's okay. Oh, my God. Get out of here. <laughs> Noah? Come on. Okay. I mean, so he's made one bad movie, one really bad movie. <laughs> Mother is terrible. What are you talking Mother's about? Mother amazing. Mother is a terrible. wonderful film. What's maybe terrible a, about maybe it? It's a, maybe it's a personal take. What's terrible about it? I yeah. had to watch a baby's spine crack. That's what's yeah. terrible. And you remember that? Because it's, it's powerful okay. filmmaking. I see. I the see. wrestler. Oh, get out of here. Shit. Okay, I like the wrestler. Shoot. Yeah. All right. Well, I still hold on to my take. Aronofsky, not my guy. Not for me. I mean, that's totally fine. Dude, you can't, you gotta, you can't. You can't even out like that. It's not like a one for you, one for me. Like, let me just make one pretty good movie and then one just like absolute atrocious piece of shit. It doesn't work like that. We got to have some consistency. <laughs> okay. Gotta, that's totally fair. Have some consistency. That's totally fair. <clears throat> okay. So that's our housekeeping. Um, like I said, a lot to unpack with that sentence. I still, I still just like want to swallow a gallon of acid. That's just terrible. Yeah. Even reading that. Okay. Let's talk about the curse. This is a brand new show. From A24, from Showtime. Mm. We had to wait for it. Uh, we were hopeful that it would premiere Thursday night at like midnight Eastern, right? And then we could catch it on the early side, uh, record late at night, send out the pod on a normal schedule. Unfortunately, not the case. It looks like it goes live midnight Pacific. Uh, okay. So just, you know, little little info for anybody that's curious out there. Midnight Pacific is when it goes live on the Showtime edition of Paramount+. Plus. That's how we watched it. Uh, I'm really, really curious to hear your takes. What you're pro Nathan Fielder, right? Like you're you're a big fan. Yeah, I'm very pro Nathan Fielder. There was something going around Twitter the other day where it's like 
uh, my taste summed up and it was like, you know, four movies, four artists and four TV shows. Oh yeah, I did. That. And uh, I didn't post it, but I talked to my partner about it. And Nathan for you was one of the four TV shows that I would put in there. Cause wow, really? I, I think it's like the best TV show that's come out in the last like 10 years. Like I love it. I think it's fantastic. So I've, I've only seen a few episodes of Nathan for you, but one of those was, um, the the gas station and then like the scavenger hunt up into up the, the hills yeah just fucking incredible television that's like Truly one of the few times he breaks stuff. when that guy's like oh yeah i drink, <laughs> I drink my grandson's piss like wait what are you serious <laughs> like we never see him break and he it's broke insane. during that because it was so crazy oh it's so good i'm a huge fan of the rehearsal though yeah yeah the rehearsal's great i want you to watch the hunk it's one of the episodes of nathan for you okay they do like a bachelor type show and they call it the hunk and it's awesome and that um, sounds really familiar maybe i i'll have maybe to check watch it out it. you have to check it out to um, it, yeah. But yeah anyways i'm very pro nathan fielder i think he's hilarious pro emma stone and safty so this is mm-hmm. this is a great group together yeah, I wrote down here in our notes the Holy Trinity. Um, I really do feel like Fielder, Stone, and Safty. Uh, number one, I feel like that could be the name of a law firm. That sounds yeah. really good coming out of my mouth. <laughs> number two, I feel like they each bring a very unique component to this like trifecta cast here, mm-hmm. um, and they don't really override each other. Like they kind of just find a way to mesh and then make this really incredible cringy weird um sensational thing and i think i think that's what the curse is of course we're only one episode in so we have nine more episodes we have nine more weeks they come out every friday we'll most likely be covering a midway season review i think is what our plan is we'll go like episodes one through five so we'll do one and then we'll we'll do a a one through five review and then we'll do a six through ten and kind of cover the back half similar to what we did with euphoria and irma vep and other a24 shows um, I really liked this first episode. I thought it was ultimately incredibly unnerving and cringy and awkward in the best Nathan Fielder way. Um, and then Emma Stone brings this like sensational charisma that like you just you're just like drawn to. You're just like mm-hmm. want to listen to her, you want to watch her, you want to see her be a movie star, right? And and I know this is a TV show, but like she has poor things coming out at the end of this year that she is slated to be heavily favored for a best actress Academy award. So like this is kind of that rare treat where you're like, this is a full fledged movie star doing something really good for TV. And then you have Benny Safdie who has been making some very interesting acting decisions as of late, of course in Oppenheimer um, where he dons the heavy, heavy accent and the sunscreen um, we had him in Stars at Noon wearing incredible uh attire, shirts, island shirts. Um, and now he's in this in what I amounted to essentially like a wig that's like Harvey Keitel in Taxi Driver, where it just like mm-hmm. hangs over his head, and you're just like, That's that's a wig, but I guess I could get with that. Like that's that's fair. Um, and he's got a, a big punk energy to him. I really like all of them. They're all really different. Yeah, I think you're right. They all bring a different energy, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, I'd, I, overall, I had a good time with it, but it wasn't what I was anticipating. I, it wasn't uh, as okay. funny as I was ex- expecting. There were mm. still some funny moments. I think my favorite segment here 
is the entire time that they're at the parents' house. Like there's a lot yeah. of kind of yeah. funny stuff going on there. Um, from, you know, saying the prayers and all that kind of stuff. He's like, Oh, that's what that means. You know, um, <laughs> she's, you know, so there's a lot of funny stuff that's happening there um, mm-hmm. all the way to the, uh, the cherry tomato boys. But the rest of it, like, it's interesting. It really, it feels like it switches tones, I guess, um, to mm-hmm. like a, a regular humor, then to like to a dark humor and then kind of serious again, like overall, I'm like positive on it, but I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out for the rest of the show. Um, I'm yeah. I think it's really interesting because I kind of see the, and this is created by Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie and written mm-hmm. by both of them. This first episode directed by Fielder. You can really see the Safdie input in this. I, the score yeah. very uncut gems. Um, and this idea of like a, a guy that believes he is good that cannot for the life of him be demagnetized for making bad decisions. Yeah. Like he is trying his hardest and he, he says in this episode, like we're really fucking good people, but is he like, is he a good person? Because by the time we get to this at the end of the, this episode, and of course spoilers for the first episode of the curse, mm-hmm. but like by the time we get to the end of the episode, he is lying to his wife about the curse being lifted. Yeah. And so like, it's this really insular battle that I think Fielder is is quite honestly perfect to display in a very unsettling and unnerving way of like, oh, this like this feels really icky that we're like in a morally ambiguous area of this guy that is pretty cognizant of it being morally ambiguous, but is mm-hmm. like sending it anyway. And he's like just he's just trying to push on through. And he's got like an angel and a devil, right? He's got like he's got Benny Safty on one side that's like pushing him to make pretty bad choices. And he's got his wife on the other side who's encouraging him to right his wrongs. So I think there's a lot to unpack. Obviously um, the G word talks about, you know, gentrification. (laughs) We've got um, obviously uh, indigenous, you know, people and land rights and, and lots of history with that. We've got um, the societal addiction to fame and and fake narratives. And I, I think there's a lot of good things here. It was initially booked as like a 10 episode, 30 minute comedy series. Mm. And it is not that obviously yeah. it is now they are now an hour long. This clocks in at 61 minutes, this first episode. And it really does genre bend like the sick nature of like what is funny, but that's, that's Nathan Fielder. Like that's what's so good about him. And he, he, he really does bring it to the episode. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, Philip, what how does she even say that? Flip Flipanthropy. Flipanthropy? Is that a yeah. good name for a TV show? For HGTV, sure. Yeah, I guess that yeah. kind of works. You know, there's all that whatever. I can't even think of what they are now, but I feel like that kind of works for what they're going for. I would not be surprised if that gets picked up at some point in time. You know what would be the ultimate cross promo of this show? Is if there was actually an episode of Flipanthropy on HGTV. That was like a real mm. one episode with Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone is like, hey, this is our show. And, mm-hmm. and it was played as a real thing and people thought it was real. That's, that's where you start to get into like the rehearsal territory. I wouldn't be surprised if someone thought about that at like yeah. at the table making the show and was like, yo, we could cross promo and get really weird. It would be it would be intense to see that kind of a, a crossover, but it would be pretty cool. Um, but you could see all the 
the hallmarks of a good HGTV show uh, in this show. They did, yeah. they did a really interesting job of mixing between kind of documentary style to then, you know, being more of just a TV show that it is. Um, it was, I don't know. And we'll, we'll get to it, but even that final shot was a good Ooh, blend of good. like, wait, is this a documentary or is this right. like what's going on? It was wonderful. I liked that a lot. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Los Alamos. Los Alamos gets a shout out in here from Emma Stone's character. Um, and that's where they make essentially the panels, I think for their eco-friendly homes, like mm. their energy panels. Um, Los Alamos, just like cooking up great ideas, you know, since, since the world war, uh, world war two, love to see it. Um, oh yeah. Oppenheimer. Gotcha. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea where this is. So what are you talking about? I was just trying to, uh, get, you know, carry you on a little bit, I allude, allude to it. the oppie. <laughs> uh, and then last thing I wanted to mention before we do true cinema here, I watch my shows with closed captions. You of course do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not sickos. We're not crazy people. Yeah. Um, you have to have closed captions. Did you notice at the end of this episode, uh, when Nathan Fielder comes back, uh, he is called Incher as mm-hmm. a nickname. His name is Asher, but it looks like Benny Safdie's character in the closed captions, at least what's written there, could be wrong, but it's what's written there is called Incher. Mm-hmm. I think if that's true, immaculate writing from Safdie and Fielder to, yeah. call, to nickname him Incher when we have a 10-minute segment about micropenises and we see two micropenises and then the next scene he gets called Incher. I, that, when I heard that, I was like, uh-oh, fuck shit might be out of the top spot for, <laughs> for TV, for movie nicknames. For A24 <laughs> nicknames, yeah. I mean, it was hilarious to hear him say that because uh, it's kind of a thrown away a throwaway yeah. line, you know, just as he's running to the door. So uh, hilarious name though, for sure. It's incredible too. In that moment where like they are out, um, like Asher and his, and his wife are out in the hallway and they, they knock on the door. And when Benny Safdie goes to open the door, he goes, Oh, who's there? And mm-hmm. then he opens the door and goes, just kidding. I do. It was you. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of moments like that, that do come across, um, really under the surface as like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's really funny. That's really smart. That's really well done. Any other call outs before we true cinema? No, nothing specifically. Just, I, I like the cinematography. Cause again, a lot of it was shot in a documentary style, even if it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, being shown as a documentary within the TV show. Um, but a lot of like, let's hang on this shot. Let's just kind of see what happens. Let's be across the street and just capture this as it happens, you know, naturally. So very cool to see that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that's part of the fascinating filmmaking aspect that Nathan Fielder brings to this, where you kind of do blur those lines. You're like, Mm -hmm. what are we, what are we getting ourselves into? Are we, are we the uncomfortable bystanders watching like moral ambiguity go down right in front of our eyes Mm -hmm. or are we watching this like it's a television show on Showtime or HGTV? Like, which one are we doing? Um, okay, let's do True Cinema. The intro interview. This is where we meet everybody and they're interviewing these people um, and they gift this guy with a job. And all of this to say, Benny Safdie's character, Dougie, then basically says like, hey, can I put some water in your <laughs> eyes, into the, eye, the, the eyes of the mother of the son who's just gifted a, a job um, because he wants to get her crying on camera? And then he sprays menthol in her eyes to make them red. Um, and it's really awkward from the very, very start where Emma Stone's character, Whitney, is like, I don't think this is OK. And then 
Asher goes along with it, and then like Dougie keeps going and has to be told to stop. And I thought it was a really good way to introduce this, but also like really puts you on your heels where you're like, ooh, I don't I don't know if I want to watch more of this. Like yeah. I don't know if I'm ready for this level of cringe. Yeah, it was definitely uncomfortable. You could see it in their faces the whole time. Like, mm-hmm. what, at what point do we cut him off? Because this is <laughs> kind of getting a little extreme, but he just speaks with such confidence. Like, no, 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 it's fine. This always happens. This is how we do it. You know, and it's just kind of like the, when you're somewhere you're not supposed to be, you just walk around like you have somewhere to go. You know, no one stops mm, you. Like, oh, this yeah. person knows what they're doing. That, that must be fine. Uh, it kind of felt like this. Where it's like, well, I guess he knows he does these kind of things. So. Uh, it was, yeah, it was very uncomfortable to watch though. Can we talk about Dougie for a quick second? Because, um, I don't have it on this list and I don't want to forget. I really quickly want to talk about his, um, trailer or his preview to that his wasn't t- true TV show. Moment. Yeah. Is it really? yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry for outing you early. No, My it's apologies. totally fine. Love um, in the third degree, love man. Love in the third degree. <laughs> <laughs> I died. I died died when he showed that it was insane but also you could buy it as a show right now it was like yeah i could see someone making that like it's it's absurd and wrong on so many levels but (laughs) some network would pick it up somewhere for sure did you have any inkling that under the mask would be a burn victim no i had no idea (laughs) i got you too yeah (laughs) yeah i thought that was hilarious i thought it was just gonna be like a dude you know just like yeah, yeah whatever but it being a a burn victim was hilarious because with the whole premise of it being, you know, true love being skin deep, that kind of a thing. God, it's really incredible. And like, I think that does prove the level of depth of this show. Like mm-hmm. that, that, that obviously had to be made. Like that has to be thought out as like a, a key character point in Dougie and what his kind of television history is a little bit, which I think is really fascinating. It tells a lot about his character. Um, and also the point that like, he shows them that as a comp to like, hey, we are making something edgy. We're making mm-hmm. something new. Let me show you this to to show you what I can do. And then he shows that to them, and obviously they have a negative reaction. And he's like, he's like, no, no, no. What we're doing here is not at all like that. And yeah. it's like, dude, you're like, you just showed them. And you said it's literally the same thing. It was hilarious. I also as a child of the nineties really enjoy that. They actually got Dan Cortez to host the show for mm. people who don't remember. He was an MTV VJ back in yep. the day. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know if you look him up online, he just has all these bright colored outfits and clothes and he was just like the jock VJ. So to see him on here is like, Oh, that's actually Dan Cortez. That's hilarious. Shout out Simon Rex from red rocket. Also being a, yeah. an old MTV VJ, incredible yeah. stuff. Um, okay. I just wanted to call that out. I'm sorry that I, that are no, it's all your, good. It's all good. Uh, next on this list, the curse. Uh, buying Sprite in the parking lot. This is when Dougie kind of spots a girl selling Sprite in the parking lot and tells Asher, like, "Hey, you should go up to her, give her some money, and I'll catch it on camera." Um, you know, seems like a good idea, right? Like a, a pseudo philanthropist of the community, building homes, helping people have job opportunities. Um, really trying to justify the support of this community that he's lending. Uh, doing good, and then he gives her a one gives her a hundred dollar bill. Ends up taking it back. She curses him. Um, again, really awkward like societal moment. But I think this scene leads into a leads into a better scene. I think this is obviously just like a, an important setup for the show. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the premise of the the title, all that kind of stuff, and we get to see again the lengths that they'll go to of like 
oh, just pretend to give that girl some money. You know, it'll look good on camera or whatever. And then him going and taking it back. It was, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good scene. Well, and too, like part of the reason Dougie wanted him to do that was so he could keep Asher mic'd up when yeah. he went into um, the conversation with the, with the newscast woman um, and kind of trying to turn the tables and get a story squashed mm-hmm. and things like that. So there's a lot, there's a lot at play, which I, which I actually like. Um, this leads into the scene that I, that I alluded to, the ATM. Uh, Asher walks into, into this mini mart to use the ATM, and it's a sticky ATM, doesn't really work. Two big Mexican that uh, you know appear like pretty strong, intimidating fellows. Mm-hmm. Um, basically tell him like, here, let me show you the trick. You got to shake it while you do it, whatever. Um, what's your pin number? Just tell me your pin real quick, and I'll enter it. And that because I know what the trick is. And we get this dialogue that's back and forth of of Fielder basically saying like, you know, oh, just just show me, and like I can figure it out, blah blah blah. And that like I don't know anybody else that could play that moment that perfectly other than Nathan Fielder because I was so like I was so embarrassed I was just like yeah oh my god like what what are we doing here you have to you have to walk away like you have to be say something like you're just Mm -hmm. you're just skirting around what you think um and and at the end of the scene when he's initially going to take out $20 to give the girl and the guy is like 20 or 40 in like an intimidating fashion. And he's like 20. No, 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 40, 40. Because he's going to try to justify and pay off this guy for helping him essentially and like cleanse his soul, cleanse his conscience for this like really inconvenient moral qualm. Um, Really awkward thing to watch. (laughs) Yeah, it was a great scene. One of the best, I think, of this whole series just the guy looking at him like just tell me i'll do it's like two seconds just tell me your pin he's like well okay so if you just show me the trick then i can do it <laughs> it just is so awkward and even the guy's friend client like what do you think we need your money that bad yeah. like just we're trying to help you um but the way they play it is like you really don't know like are they going to take his money whatever yeah um, are they gonna beat him up i don't know yeah but then we get the callback later on too of him calling his bank to change yeah. his pin number it was kind of hilarious it's like representative representative (laughs) (laughs) and his wife is like who are you calling and he's like the bank i gotta change my pin number (laughs) (laughs) um next next uh scene is the subway meeting this is where he meets with the uh news correspondent essentially to have this um video this story um this interview of them squashed they did an interview prior he kind of lost his cool we get a little bit of information into um whitney's parents and Mm -hmm. how they're essentially slumlords of this of this community and are, and are like raising the rent and um, having people evicted from their homes. So that kind of like draws a lot on that. And I think it's really funny to try to watch um, Asher figure out a plan to get the upper hand and like figure out how to get this story killed and what information he has available. And he basically, again, like a, a moral quandary of like, do I present some, bad news about gambling of this casino that I work, used to work at in light of the risk to the Pueblo people or like, how do you traverse that? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, he starts to lose his cool. And like I mentioned, he's like, we're, we're good fucking people. And this is a really core moment. I think of the first episode where like he is publicly um, tackling like what's going on in his soul and in his mind. Um, and I'm, I'm probably reading far, far more into it than necessary considering it's only the first episode. But if we get more scenes like this, I, I really, 
I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Well, it was so cool. This is like probably some of my favorite physicality throughout the whole episode mm, from Fielder. Good call. Because the way that he looks at her and he just like keeps moving his head down. It's <laughs> like trying to like keep her eye line and stuff like that. Like it, it's pretty funny. And he just, he's, he has this desperation in his voice um, knowing earlier that he kind of berated her, uh, which we didn't talk about, but you know, there's a scene where mm-hmm. Emma Stone's parents come up and they may not be the most upstanding people in the community. Uh, and fielder kind of like loses his cool so it it was fun to see that desperation in his body and in his voice of just like we're good fucking people like we're helping the community you know it's just but she's able to kind of call his bluff like i know this coffee shop is a sponsor of yours and it's only a Mm. six month lease like it's a real interesting back and forth that they have it is um yeah and it is i think part of the awkward essence of the show is that we linger on conversations like that mm-hmm. and is that we stay with how strange and unnerving it is. Yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, next one. Next scene is the uh, Jewish dinner, the cherry tomato boys. Mm-hmm. Let's dig into this. Let's talk about the cherry tomato boys. This scene starts with Asher going to the restroom with his exceptionally small penis. I would just tell you, I wasn't ready to see full dong no. in this show. I wasn't ready. We got double full frontal today. <laughs> it was unexpected. I mean, it obviously it pays off in the end, but when the scene first happened, it's like, what was the purpose of that? Yeah. Like other Why? than just Why? like a shock value. Like this is really kind of a weird setup to this shot, to the scene. Uh, obviously, yeah, like I said, it pays off later on, but it really took me off guard. Mm-hmm. So we have this big conversation between Asher and then Whitney's dad, essentially, mm-hmm. um, kind of talking about their, um, Asher's business prospects and the TV show and things like that. Um, all of this to essentially kind of lead to them going to the in-house greenhouse that, that Whitney's dad runs, mm-hmm. um, with any, you know, he, he um, kind of feeds the tomatoes his own piss, which is an incredible little detail that Fielder's really good at. Again, like that physical comedy of like, he doesn't know if he should eat the tomatoes or not. Um, yeah. He tries a cherry tomato and <laughs> at the at the behest of um, her dad and the conversation evolves quite naturally, but like out of left field to like, hey, I get it. I've got a small, I've got a micro penis too. And you know what? My daughter's okay with it. And you know what? <laughs> Things are going to be all right. You have to like live in that reality. You have to own this. And it's so weird, but it's so funny. And it's, it's like terrible and wonderful at the same time. Like you said, we get two full frontal micro penises. Um, and then like, I don't know, cherry tomatoes are just like kind of ruined forever for me. <laughs> I mean, like your Aronofsky take, I'm glad that I've always hated tomatoes because that has not been an issue for me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of awkward conversations you could have with your father-in-law and this has got to be up there yeah. as one of the most uh, awkward conversations. But thankfully, for those of us that are watching it, it's a great scene to to take in. Next one is uh, having sex with Steven. Of course, I, I didn't know we were going to go here either. Um, yeah. Shout out Emma Stone for just being like, an incredible, um, like sex positive on screen presence this this fall season. I guess I've heard poor things is very much in this vein. Mm. Um, so you know this was a great shout for that. Um, 
really weird. Like, I don't know. Like, I, it's hard to try to be like, yeah, well, this is what this scene like meant and what I got out of it. And what I like, I gotta be honest. It's, it's like Nathan Fielder with a micro penis using a vibrator on Emma Stone. Like that, this is where we're at. And she calls, uh, calls it Steven. And I, I simultaneously expected them to not have sex this way, but it also completely tracks with yeah. who they are as people. Yeah, it it was one of my favorite things about this scene is the absolute hard smash cut we got to the <laughs> next day where they're just like giving yeah. someone a house and they're just like coming across as so all prim funny. and proper and just like yeah. the Magnolia whatever people that were on HGTV back in the day just like pure pure people yeah. it's like oh these guys were doing some fucking they were, they were doing some intense people. shit last night you know so it was I, I love that about this I also like the power dynamic that like um, Whitney, Emma Stone's character basically says like, Steven says you can join now, like you can join in and Asher is like, no like I want to I see you finish with Steven and he's obviously trying to make like a kind of a power play here because they don't have, it's clearly identified before this, like mm-hmm. they don't have sex, they're not trying for kids, this kind of a thing Um, and so like to see him try to exude that, like in that circumstance, knowing what we know about his physical being is very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, look, you know, sh- shout out Nathan Fielder for, you know, doing that with Emma Stone. You know, just one of the boys. Great stuff. Um, Emma Stone, beautiful, wonderful actress. Okay, uh, last two. Leaving a note at the shelter. This is where things get really, you know, morally ambiguous, I think. Yeah. Um, he goes searching for the girl that put a curse on him. And essentially goes into a shelter, um, leaves a note identifying like who the girl is and who their father is, and notices the beds are empty. And the person is like, "Yeah, we don't have funding." Meanwhile, they're in this community and opening a new coffee shop and making houses with fireplaces that don't work, um, and pretending to help when like they could just give their money to this house. And that's when it really rolls into like that deep drama of like, mm-hmm. "Ooh, this is this is a little grimy." Yeah, a, a little bit. Uh, you see how tough some of the community has it and that it's not helping with all the gentrification they're bringing in with all the new homes and things like that. So we kind of got exposed to that as well in this scene. Um, and then, yeah, to see him just like choose to leave the money with one person hoping yeah. that it lifts the curse. Uh, it was, yeah, it was an interesting scene. Final scene, lying about the curse being lifted to Whitney. He kind of... um fabricates another story again another mm-hmm. false narrative to kind of drive his person um and i have a question for you so right before this is when um whitney is recording in the closet essentially recording some voiceover for the show um and and dougie is in the same room and is basically encouraging her and is like you are like you're beautiful and you're a wonderful on-screen presence and people want to be around you people want to watch you and all this kind of stuff were you picking up on the vibe? I don't know that I was picking up the same vibe you were. I was picking up like he was coming on to her, but she wasn't super stoked on it. I wasn't oh, thinking okay. it was reciprocal. I just kind of thought she was like very relieved when Asher showed up. Like, okay, cool. Oh. Save me from this creepy dude with his creepy wet hair and stuff, you know. <laughs> but I don't know. I could have just seen it a different way. But um, there's definitely something going on for sure. 
Yeah, see, I read it as she was not close to that idea. Mm. I think if my under like my understanding of the the premise of the show and the idea is like they eventually are going to try to have a kid, right? Like that's mm. kind of what we know about the show. I would not be surprised if Benny Safdie's character got in the middle of that and somehow mm. broke things apart. Um, I kind of took her like remaining in the closet as like if I walk out of this closet that things could go like things could mm. go south things could happen and I better just wait for Asher to get home gotcha. I think she is more like is fancied toward that stuff and I think Asher is a little bit oblivious to that nature of her that side of her um, but again like maybe we'll see more of that play out as the show goes mm. um, I'm, I'm interested so you already said your truth in a moment is you, you're going to stick with that? Do you have like a oh, runner yeah. up? I feel terrible. I feel no, so bad. No, you don't need to. That, that <laughs> was like the best part of the whole episode for me. I loved it. That was a good part. Uh, I think for me, God, it's tough because there's a lot of good scenes. I think the ATM scene for me is like my favorite part of this episode. I think it is funny and awkward and impactful and tells a lot about his character and like where he's at in his journey. Um, but I also like you mentioned, there's a lot of like small nuanced moments in this show, like Dougie calling him incher or like, you know, um, changing his pin number or calling and trying to get a refund on his, uh, penne, his frozen penne that didn't have any chicken in it. Like, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of that stuff in there that is not throwaway at all. That is actually really crucial and good to this show. This is a good show. I like it. Um, a1 act. Let's do Nathan Fielder. This is a key. This is a pivotal guy for this it show. Is. Okay, we've got the curse, the rehearsal. He is a voice, uh, the voice of Justin in Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Um, Nathan for you, the disaster artist, another A24 project. And The Night Before, which pretty funny movie. Pretty funny Christmas yeah. movie. Yeah, I love The Night Before. Not bad. What do you got? What are you thinking? What are you going with? Uh, I mean, it's hard not to pick Nathan for you. I think that's like, uh-huh. it's a near perfect show in my eyes. Um, but the Marcel shout out is really good. I like that. Yeah, it's good. I'm definitely going with the rehearsal. Um, I think that is a show both Molly and I, my wife got really into. Nice. Um, and that was our first exposure to Nathan Fielder. And like, that was kind of, I feel like that was on like the end cusp of like the shutdown of like, we mm. can't leave our homes kind of a thing. Um, and so to see that and to see like that, that incredible social experiment. And like, I think that's easily one of the greatest television shows like I've ever watched. I think mm-hmm. it is just masterful and what it accomplishes. Um, and I just talking about it makes me want to rewatch it, to be honest. Um, weird stuff. Nathan Fielder, really messed up guy, to be Love honest. It. Yeah. Emma Stone. This is the big one. We've got a lot. We've got a lot that we got to tackle here. Um, and I'm interested to see what happens. So, Super bad, of course. Iconic and super bad. The Rocker, The House Bunny, Zombieland, Easy A, Crazy Stupid Love, The Help, The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2, Gangster Squad, The Crudes, Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, La La Land, Battle of the Sexes, The Favorite, Maniac, Zombieland Double Tap, The Crudes, A New Age, Cruella, Poor Things, and The Curse. You're going with The Crudes, right? That was what you told me off air. That is my number one. That's my favorite. <laughs> that is my number one. Emma Stone performer. Yep. yep. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's my number one, but I do want to shout out Cruella because I actually like her in that quite oh, a bit. I like Cruella. I yeah, like that I thought movie. that was a good movie, and I think she get, 
gives a really good performance. So there may be more Emma Stone ish selections in here, but that's what I'm going to go with. I like Cruella. Wow. I I respect that. I really like that pick. I like Cruella a lot. I had a pretty good time with it. Um, I think maybe, you know, gets a little unnecessary harshness from the people, but I think it's good. Isn't there, there's a sequel, right? I believe so. I believe there's one in the works. That is no surprise to me. I want to give a shout out to Maniac, a limited show, uh, like an anthology show on Netflix with Jonah Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, she's very, very good at that. Every episode is like a different kind of decade or time period or like life situation that she has to emulate. Okay. So I really like that. Um, of course, like it's hard not to pick Crazy Stupid Love or Super Bad. Like those are some of the more iconic ones, especially Crazy Stupid Love. Um, but you know, I mean, it's no cur- it's it's no surprise. It's La La Land. It's Mia. Um, that is is key, incremental to to her. She won an Oscar for that. I don't know. Did she? No, I'm I'm genuinely asking you. Oh, it's <laughs> your favorite I movie. Think she I thought did. for sure you were gonna know. I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure she did. I'm I'm pr- I'm pretty sure. Um, but again, I don't know. I I try not to. You know, keep. T- Oscar winner for best performance by an actress in a leading role. Yes, it was La Land. She nice. was nominated for the favorite and for um, best supporting role in Birdman. Okay. That's pretty good. She's but great in the favorite. Maybe she's going to win another Academy Award this year. We will see. I'm a huge Emma Stone fan. I think she is easily one of our best and biggest uh, actress, like mm-hmm. movie stars that we have right now. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Nice. Uh, okay, A24 ranking. Based on one episode of The Curse, we'll revisit and go one through five and then six through ten. We'll give new rankings then. But if you got to go off of one episode and kind of extrapolate to the next nine, what ranking are you going with? Right now, a B. A B24 is what I'm going to go with. It's a solid B. A solid B. Okay. Yeah. Pretty good. With the anticipation of it going up. Like as okay. the series goes on, this is a, this is like a safe bet B with the chances of like, this could hit an a minus for sure at some point, mm. but I don't think it's going to drop down to a C or anything. I just think it's either going to stay a B or it's going to, it's going to go up in value. Okay. I have a, a similar thought process, but I'm going with an a minus and I, I think it'll continue. Like this is my vibe. This kind of show is just, is like, is my thing where like, it's ultra dissectable. It's really weird. It's really off kilter. Mm-hmm. It's it's got Benny Safdie. It's got this weird vibe to it. I think it's kind of like an amalgamation of things that I really really like. So I had a great time with the first episode. Um, I fully expect to like the back nine, and I'm exceptionally curious like where this leads. I don't know if you have any predictions for the next nine episodes. We don't know anything. We haven't seen any. Of the no. of the other nine episodes, I think the only thing that I know is that they're going to try to start having a kid. Based on the trailer, it looks like things get kind of weird and kind of out of control. And I think maybe a lot of information comes out about who these people really are mm-hmm. that is currently being masked by the show. Yeah, I'm curious to see where it goes. I am both happy that I didn't get to see, uh, you know, this season on whatever, mm. because I like the surprise of it all. But at the same time, I really want to know like what the yeah. fuck's going on here. So maybe we'll get a halfway trailer or something. I think that's part of the magic of the show too, where you're yeah. like, Oh, I just, I really want to know what happens next. And mm. so we're, we're going to tune in. We'll do it. Um, next week on this pod, 
talking dream scenario? Question mark again? I hope. I hope we're talking about dream scenario. We'll see. I don't know. We got that. Yeah, we got a couple fun drafts down coming down the pike, which is going to be a blast. Yep. Who knows what we're going to talk about next week? Yeah. Up in the air. Who knows? Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Any closing thoughts on the curse? Nathan Fielder, Emma Stone, Darren Aronofsky, anything? Cherry Tomato Boys forever. <laughs> Hashtag Cherry Tomato. That should be our new, um, our new bio. Cherry yeah, Tomato Boys forever. The Cherry Tomato Boys. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> new pod, new pod coming at you. January 2024, the Cherry Tomato Boys. Watch out. I don't know if I want to put that on me. <laughs> Uh, let us know what you guys thought about the curse. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at 24 minutes of a 24. You can also follow us on YouTube where you can watch us talk about the shows, um, or movies, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and you can subscribe there and keep updated with everything that we post. Also, we have a Patreon, Patreon where we talk about movies that are not a 24 movies. Mm-hmm. And that is called 24 minutes of not a 24. And if you sign up to be a patron, you automatically enroll us in a punishment where we have to do a spoonful of hot sauce before we give our next review. So it's incredible. Um, it is kind of intense. We've, we've been <laughs> doing it. We've done it a couple of times now. So if you'd like to continue that trend, feel free to join us over on Patreon 24 minutes of not a 24. Either way. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for watching slash listening. We really appreciate it. My name, I am Ben Lawhorn. My name is Ben Lawhorn. What was going to go with there at the end? Question mark? <laughs> Are you Ben Lawhorn? I don't ben know. Lawhorn? Question mark? <laughs> uh, what yeah. has the curse done to you, Ben? <laughs> I have no clue. I'm, I'm the cherry tomato boy number two, Ben Lawhorn. <laughs> I am Ethan Simi. Cherry tomato boys forever. <laughs> <laughs>